lots of waste out there and when you dig into what happens to that waste it's usually recycled landfilled or incinerated and the last two options there are clearly the worst options for the planet and society in general so could we dig deeper into what is landfilled why what is incinerated why and we spent a long time looking into that and realizing more and more that we can't just burn stuff like it, it just shouldn't be an option so we had a look at what types of material were being burned and how what the level of greenhouse gas emissions were being sent into the atmosphere as a result of this so we thought can we do something else with this can we reuse this material to add value to another industry which is the concrete industry hello everyone and welcome to future x a podcast by martin hearn event director future build and co-host dr oliver jones Future X will bring together some of the brightest minds and some of the most disruptive thinkers and innovators to transform the construction industry and build a Future X community of like-minded people that can begin to make a real change. We really hope you enjoy the series. Hello and welcome to Future X. I'm Martin Hearn, Event Director at FutureBuild, and I am joined by Dr. Oliver Jones. Oliver, we are interviewing someone today that you've been really involved in from the outset. Oh, mate, definitely. And we've been trying to get hold of Natasha for such a long time. Um, Natasha, when when I first came across them, were uh, she was working for a spin-out company that she co-founded uh, from a Durham University accelerator called Sfera. Um since then, those these guys have gone on from bigger things to bigger things. And and you'll hear about it in the podcast, but most recently, um, finalists at Prince William's Earthshot Prize. So Natasha and the team um, at Low Carb Materials, as they're now called, um, are unbelievably uh, on the cutting edge of sustainable material innovations. They started with a, a, a carbon neutral concrete aggregate, uh, which you'll hear Natasha talk about. Um, but they are now on the lookout for working with sustainable materials those companies um, up and down the country to get their products into market and, and develop them. And these guys have put in the yards on the ground, so they understand all the hurdles. They, they've gone through all the certification and the standards, uh, rigmarole that the startups often have to battle with. They're a phenomenal company. Uh, Natasha's an amazing leader along with the other founders um, and just one to watch, honestly. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's just been fascinating, even in the little amount of time that I've known them, just watching their stellar rise. You mentioned their Earthshot Prize finalist. Natasha was also one of the Forbes 30 under 30. Um, you know, she's heavily involved with the UK GBC and their Innovate Startup Advisory Board. But also, I think, just purely one of the nicest people I've ever met in the built environment. Oh, well, you know why that is, don't you? Because she's not from the built environment. <laughs> it's true that you know that that but in all seriousness that that that's kind of how we met um you know the a lot like a lot of these startups like the guys at thermulon for example it's people who are biologists physicists chemists 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 what's a chemist he says chemists who are in another field looking at our um construction industry and saying wow we can really help there we've got a solution um can someone just tell us how the hell it works and why you guys are so siloed and why do you always blame each other for everything so 
that was the that was the deal with Natasha. Just try to talk to them, um, work with them where we could, develop some case studies, and look at the the wider construction industry and where they might best fit. Mm, absolutely. Well, let's get Natasha on. Hey, Natasha. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Oh, mate, we have been trying so long to get to talk to you. It's unbelievable. <laughs> You're like the world's busiest woman. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind couple of months for us. Yeah, long time coming. I've got so many questions to throw away, but I think just as a bit of an intro for the listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about where you came from, how on earth you got to be where you are at the minute. Yeah, I'm quite a reactive person I would say so I haven't been proactive throughout my life but this is exactly what I want to do this is my five-year plan I really want to work in concrete and construction I at school really like science very curious I quite like how it's often right or wrong and I was drawn to the binary aspects of it so really enjoyed science and then decided to go to university to do a chemistry degree and then spent a bit of time in Singapore as part of that. So worked in a lab at a university out there for a bit. Came back to the UK, decided to do a PhD in materials science. And the reason why I did this wasn't because I really liked research and academia. It was the program that I applied for was a, a center for doctoral training. So what they are, you see them more and more these days, and I think they're absolutely excellent, is a mixture of industry and academia. So we spent six months traveling around all different companies, being submerged in their innovation teams to help them solve their challenges. So we were at Unilever working on ice cream. We were at P&G working on water purification. We were at Axe Nobel working on like coatings. Yeah, lots of different variations. Decided to do a PhD to learn more about academia research, but also about the real world and how that research translates into the real world because I think a lot of people in academia need to think more about the impact and the commercialization of some of the things they're working on. So moved to Durham, did my PhD at Durham University and then started the business from there. So I'm probably stopped there. That's how I got here. <laughs> I think it's probably only fair stage of the game as well to throw out a bit of a description of the company, but also of the crack team that you work with as well. <laughs> so uh, low carbon materials, LCM envelops low carbon materials for the concrete and construction sector. So we're positioning ourselves as a bit of an innovation partner for the concrete industry because we realize there's a bit of a gap in the market. Concrete's been similar for thousands of years, although we are seeing a massive spike in innovation in the sector now, which is amazing to see. But our first product, Osto, is a carbon negative aggregate. So a lightweight aggregate for use in concrete. And it replaces some of the carbon intensive traditional lightweight aggregates that are used. So yeah, we're a grown team. We're still based in County Durham, a grown team of 15. And a lot of our efforts are on R&D and understanding what the next mm -hmm. product-based solution could be for concrete. And I guess... Before we go a bit more into to Osto, it's probably worth talking about the journey that you guys have been on as a startup. It's been pretty fast and furious, hasn't it, in terms of what you've been going through and how you've got to where you are? Yeah, definitely. So I founded the company with Phil and Scott. We met 
during our PhDs and in that period of time where we were being submerged into all these other companies, we thought, actually, we've got a bit of a bug here. Can we do it ourselves? So met them, were thrown into lots of different scenarios outside of our comfort zone. So got to be really good friends. And as part of the CDT, the PhD program we were on, we were made, and I emphasize we were made, <laughs> to leave the lab and do a business school. And this is a two-week course for chemists to learn business, essentially. And during this business school, we threw ourselves into it and thought, actually, if we were going to develop something that could change the world or help to change the world, then let's do it. And let's really attack the situation with maximum effort if we're going to spend this, these two weeks outside of the lab. So... Yeah, I've been working with the guys ever since, really. And the three of us founded the company in 2019 and have grown it since then. There's some really interesting things around being a startup. And I just wonder if we could dive in on that for a little minute around you guys obviously have gone for funding loads of times. It's been really successful, I'm sure, most of the time. But you've also been engaged in loads of different awards as a different network. How have you the startup ecosystem? Yeah, I think we, we've been quite successful with the awards and grant funding, which has really helped grow the company. Also some private investment as well and VC investment. I think it was, again, not really a proactive decision, right? Let's enter this competition, this competition, and that'll open a network of this person. It was a little bit more organic than that. It was, oh, this sounds interesting. Let's see if we can apply for it. And then it's the people you meet when you do that and then they signpost you to another opportunity and another opportunity so we're definitely ingrained within the startup ecosystem in the UK opportunities that are available and that's not only sometimes awarded funding but also more valuable I would say is the network that comes with that of other startups in similar boats with similar challenges. I can say Natasha what, what I can see from your website is you have a huge amount of industry partnerships It'd be good just to talk about those. Obviously, you partnered with Ryder, but you were part of the selector with the Hoysian Group as well. And so starting to work with the major concrete and cement producers. Can you tell us about how important those have been? Yeah, collaboration is one of our absolute key values as a company. And it's ingrained in Phil Scott and I that we cannot achieve anything without collaboration. And cognitive diversity, I think, is absolutely key. And the three of us have entered the industry with no experience or no prior experience in concrete and construction. So it, it just shows you that you just get a group of people together who have different backgrounds and different experiences. And that will most likely result in the best, best solution. So yeah, we collaborate and we ask lots of crazy questions to whoever will listen to us. I sometimes have to tame Scott who likes to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> That it's collaborating with people who think differently in, with the industry partners is that span the whole supply chain. Ride us for architecture and what, what would architects think of this? Why would they think that? Why do they do that currently? All the way up to the people who are actually using the products and the contractors that how do you use it? If we change this, would you still use it? And just really getting into the heads of all the people that span the supply chain that would influence the product that you're developing. Me and Oliver talk quite a lot about how hard it is to make a change in the built environment and how slow moving sometimes we are to accept new innovations and new technologies. Have you found that? What experience have you had and how do you change people? Yeah, great question. I, 
it is a very slow moving industry, but it's a really exciting industry to be in right now because there are so many changes that are coming through. For us, it was not reinventing the wheel. And I think that's really important. It's not presenting people with a completely different looking, smelling material or concrete. It's a small change or in our case, barely a change in process that they could implement the product straight away and see the result. I can't speak on behalf of startups that maybe have a completely new offering that's super disruptive on process. I can imagine that's really difficult, but for us, we didn't reinvent the wheel on purpose because we knew this. And we knew that if you had to change process, then perhaps it wouldn't be implemented fast. So with ours, you swap the traditional material out for our aggregate. You don't change anything about the process whatsoever. And then the product, the concrete product you get at the end looks exactly the same as traditional concrete. So we haven't reinvented as far as the user's concerned anything. So has that made the testing and certification process a little bit easier or has that still been a hurdle? No, it's made it easier. So the way that we test is to the masonry British standard. So our concrete product will follow the exact same standard as traditional concrete products. And I'm talking about block work there. So the OSTO is being used primarily for concrete block work initially. So we still have to do all of the testing to the British standard and we have to go above and beyond sometimes. But we do that in-house anyway. We're really keen on going above and beyond the standard testing to make sure we know everything there is to know about a certain product. From a curiosity point of view, because it might lead into other R&D, but also from a um, technical point of view and a customer point of view as well. It's good to know everything. And back about collaboration and the importance of collaboration just prior to that. And it strikes me that at one point there was three people in your company and somebody was always looking forward in terms of trying to find some funding and what's coming next. Somebody was always trying to get into the industry and looking at technical standards and what's going to happen. But you guys were spread pretty thin in those early days. And you probably, arguably, you might say you're still spread pretty thin now, but what do you think were the key things that got you through those stages? Was it down to collaboration? If I could pinpoint one thing that I think would, was the reason we got from stage to now, I think is understanding strengths and weaknesses in each other. So like you said, we have three people, we have Scott, who's extremely curious, big picture thinker, who will ask questions that no one else will even consider. We have Phil, who is the absolute complete opposite, who will dig into every fine detail there is to know. So you give him a hundred page standard or some legislation and he will digest that and come up with a summary. I don't have the patience for that. I won't do that, but I trust that he will do that to such a high level that I don't need to do that. And then. I'm quite good at organizing and making sure that we're doing what we need to do to get to the next step and defining those milestones and more on the strategy. So I think it's understanding strengths and weaknesses in the team mm -hmm. and having, not having any ego to say, I think you're bad at this, I'll do it. Or maybe you should do this instead and I'll take over this. And we, you've known us for a while now. We, there's no ego amongst us at all. It's very plain, blunt, frank talking. And I think that saves a lot of time, not for everyone, but it saves a lot of time. <laughs> and when you got those sort of first rounds of funding through and you started to grow, 
How have you managed the change? Where do you go for your information? You guys are now 15 people, you said. So what's like it's scaling up to that size that quickly? It's a huge move. Yeah, it's really tricky to grow from three friends who can basically read each other's minds to 15 people who you have to recruit and then have you made the right decision and then are they the right people or do we, is there a gap here or do we need skill sets here? So it's challenging and I don't think I have an answer really other than it needs to be done. So we, we did whatever we could to achieve what we needed to and make sure we have the best people and a good facility. So I think it was setting those milestones of what we wanted to achieve and then making sure that we were spending our time, which is the most valuable resource for us to, to achieve those milestones really, and not getting distracted with other things to do. And there's so many other things to do. So I guess we, organization. You will mention the innovation ecosystem a little bit. And Martin and I were talking earlier about the sort of character of startups and things, and I'm sure we'll come back around to that. One of the things there, you're really involved in other innovation networks, aren't you, throughout the UK? So have they been a source of sort of information and collegiality? You know, have to talk to us a little bit about those networks. Yeah, I think I would split them into two. So almost like the industry membership organization, so like UKGBC and the like. But also there's startup-focused programs as well. So we've been involved in a few. So CISL, Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership Programs, EDL, Creative Destruction Lab is a really, really great program. And you get to mix with other startups in similar positions. And I think it's that where you think, okay, this isn't a challenge that I'm facing alone is a challenge that startup faced a month ago and they've got through it and this is what they did. So again, it's putting yourself out there and just asking questions of people that you know have been through it. The the sector specific organizations are absolutely vital to learn about what's going on in the sector and other startups within your sector as well. Yeah, I think it's been key to put ourselves out there in those networks and just learn. I think we just love to learn and we know there's so many things that we don't know. So we just ask the people that we know the answers. Natasha, we couldn't have you on without mentioning obviously the Earthshot Prize that you were nominated for in 22. And that must have just suddenly put you on the global stage before that you were getting huge headlines in the UK anyway you were listed on those up-and-coming startups to look out for but what's that been has it been an added pressure has it been a massive benefit how do you deal with that suddenly global exposure yeah it's been incredible it's been utterly incredible how do you deal with it I'm still trying to work it out because it's <laughs> it's such an overwhelming prize to be overwhelmingly amazing prize to be involved in the team that run it are just incredible like the group of people and organizations that they've got really want to help you and have the skills to help you I when they rang and said we're a finalist I just yeah I didn't really know what to say to them. The, it's been incredible to be amongst the finalists there was a retreat a couple of weeks ago where they put us all up in Windsor for a week and we got to know the other startups and there was inspirational talks from people who are just incredible and practical advice. And so, yeah, it's propelled us onto the global stage quicker than we ever imagined and opened doors for us that 
might have never opened. And I'll give you an example. Um, the Earthshot Prize, for those who don't know, is a part of the Royal Foundation, which is it's Prince William's baby, if you like. So we met Prince William and he came in and he said, what I want to do for all of the finalists is write a letter to anyone in the world and request that they meet with you. And just thinking, really, what is this a dream? A startup would never, ever get that opportunity. So yeah, it's incredible, the Earthshot Prize. And Can I'm I see you, so Jones? Oh, mate. I'll see you, sure. Jones. Yes. You're going to ask me. <laughs> yeah. uh, TBC, TBC. Right. Uh, okay, okay, okay. They're definitely lying. You've gone out there and you... Was it Barack Obama or someone like that? If they don't reply, it's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> not for you. It'll be embarrassing for Prince William. Yeah, yeah. They can ignore me, but maybe not him. So how do you, so once you've got that global exposure, then you know, you've got to try and stay on track, stay core to your objectives, because I imagine you'll get loads of opportunities co coming through that you've got to choose which ones are actually right for you now, which ones you can deliver on. And because you're at that early stage of scalability as well. Yeah. And like I said, time is really the most precious resource for us. It's so tricky to know what opportunities to go for and what not to. And the way we do this is just plan what we're trying to achieve and be a bit brutal on, is this going to help us achieve this objective? Yes or no? If it's no, then maybe we just bench it for a while and bring it up at another, another time. Because if you followed up everything, then you just wouldn't achieve your object objectives. So yeah. yeah, we have to be really careful. The contact email address has to be monitored all the time now which is really flattering, but also quite energy intensive as well. Yeah, definitely. What's the, we're not finished with Windsor yet. Let's just wind that back a little bit. So what were the digs like at Windsor, Natasha? Just, it's totally unrelated to future exhibition here, but I'm just really interested in what the digs were like. Really, really nice. Ah. I did, my sense of direction is horrendous. So I did get lost, but um, yeah, they were really nice. We were put up in uh, Cumberland Lodge, which is in the grounds of the Great Park. I'm told that Prince William actually drove there himself from Windsor. I, yeah, it, sustainable, sustainable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no helicopter that landed in the garden. Like, he drives. What were the highlights of the group that was there? So who were the best people that you heard speak? And who were the other good businesses that we should totally be on the lookout? Not putting you on the spot. Oh, wow. My favorite uh, talk was from a woman called Hindu. And she uh, she speaks about eight different languages or something like that. She's from, she was originally or from a indigenous tribe in Africa. And just is the most unapologetic activist I've ever heard. But pragmatic as well, really pragmatic person and I've never listened to something where at the end I just thought I don't know what to say I don't even know what to think she was incredible just because she was this young girl who unapologetically wanted to change the world and now has a seat on every powerful committee there is and you may recognize her she did a keynote talk at COP26 and no doubt was involved in COP27 and She's the voice of all indigenous peoples around the world now. So that was incredible. And with regards to the finalists, just 
amazing young people. I think standout moments for me were probably at the pub where we all talked about our founder's journey, really, and why we started what we started. And just some of the stories that came out there were incredible. And I feel like I've made friends for life, but also know exactly who to talk to when we've got challenges in certain areas. So it's just a gift that money really just couldn't buy. I always think it's amazing with startups that it's the authenticity that really forms the backbone of the sort of the brand as well. And you, we've seen that as well with many large scaled up startups, they can keep that as well. And people really buy into the people behind them. And I think you're a wonderful case of that. Yeah. And I think we can do things differently. Like when you start a company, there are within reason, no rules. So it's a really nice opportunity to start challenging some of the traditional ways of thinking or working. And I think that's what draws people to startups is the founders really care about what they're doing, really care about what they're doing. And that comes across and people really want to get a piece of that really. I'm working in an environment where their work matters and they can be passionate about it as well. And I think young people are demanding that more and more, actually. The real sort of nuance, isn't there? We briefly discussed it a while ago around just that identity that goes with that authenticity of a startup and the fact that it's, it, there's lots of things that are really unique in that situation. There's an energy, there's a, the, there's not just the authenticity, but there's the reciprocated sort of trust of the industry because everyone knows you're working as much as you can possibly be working to get this baby off the ground and to make it happen. And there's something really quite magical about that startup ecosystem in that sense that I don't think can really be replicated. And Martin and I have discussed it in the past as well, can be replicated as you grow as large companies. Yeah. And it's addictive. You know, that you will have to go above and beyond every day and there will be extreme highs and extreme lows and it's all part of the startup journey. And. I think you're right. It's really hard to replicate that authenticity and determination elsewhere. I think startups are quite special. It's a, it's an extremely risky thing to do, start a business, but it's an extremely rewarding thing to do. And some of the most overwhelming moments for me is where the whole company's in one room talking about the new products that they're developing and you just step back and think, wow, like something, an idea that came out of our head has given 15 really special people jobs here and we can work together as a team to really impact, create massively positive impact. So yeah, it's a special environment being part of a startup. I couldn't do anything else now. So give us the headlines again of Osto. Let's jump in back to the product. It's two and a half times yeah, so it's a gravel-like material. So it's a lightweight aggregate uh, that replaces traditional carbon-intensive lightweight aggregates. So we take some of the traditional lightweight aggregates out and replace it with Osto. And it's made of waste products. So we, we saw an issue, and as material scientists, this is almost where we started, is there's lots of waste out there. And when you dig into what happens to that waste, it's usually recycled, landfilled, or incinerated. And the last two options there are clearly 
the worst options for the planet and society in general. So could we dig deeper into what is landfilled? Why? What is incinerated? Why? And we spent a long time looking into that and realizing more and more that we can't just burn stuff. Like it it just shouldn't be an option. So we had a look at what types of material were being burned and how what the level of greenhouse gas emissions were being sent into the atmosphere as a result of this. So we thought, can we do something else with this? Can we reuse this material to add value to another industry, which is the concrete industry, who use carbon-intensive lightweight aggregates and want to reduce their carbon footprint and their impact on the planet? Can we almost take a problem for one industry and solve a problem uh, for another one? It's really interesting because a lot of the decarbonisation of concrete is centered around the cement not the aggregate side of things so can you combine your product with a a sem free style product as well yeah cement is responsible for the majority of the emissions from concrete so yeah it's not surprising to me and it should be the case that a lot of people are concentrating on the cement for us at the moment it's aggregate and lightweight aggregate because i think lightweight some lightweight aggregates in particular have a carbon footprint that is extremely high, like near cement, if not the same level as cement. And we're not really talking about it very much. It's probably because they're not used near in the volumes that cement is used, but it's still a challenge to overcome. So yeah, we reach out to a lot of the startups and the innovations that are working on alternatives to cement to see if we could partner up because yeah, we could completely collaborate with a company that does that. I here's one for Phil. So I think that we're in a situation where concrete and concrete innovations going really going at a rate of knots at the moment. And you guys are right up at the front of these innovations, but I'm really confused. I keep asking the question, why are life cycle assessments done over 30 or why are buildings life cycle assessments done over 30 or 60 years? I don't quite tip because we could put a concrete frame on the ground, which would be frowned upon at the moment, unless we were using low carbon products like your own. But even if we manage to do that, it's still not de rigueur at the moment. There's a lot of talk about mass timber and, and other approaches. So put this concrete frame on the ground, but it doesn't do as well over a 60 year period when you're looking at the life cycle analysis of it. But there's no reason the house I'm sat in now is probably 200 years old. So where are we getting these sort of, I'm not expecting to answer this, but I definitely want you to put it to Phil. And if anyone's listening and can answer this, I definitely want to know the answer. Because if you get a concrete building that's going to last another 300 years, then surely we need to be taking off the, the six yeah. other buildings, 30 years worth of rebuilds and embodied carbon in those as well. So there's a nuance in the calculation that I just can't get my head around at the moment. Yeah, I think... She- I don't know where the 60 years comes from. I don't know. Maybe if I had a background in in concrete, maybe I would know. But I think it probably is a case of that's always been the standard. So there's more risk in changing that than not changing that. So it's what we've always done. So let's leave it the same. And there's an added extra of not digging too much into LCOs and EPDs, but are we including module D in that? Are we including yeah. end of life module C in that? Are we considering things that are outside of the boundaries of that particular product or build? So there, there's lots of 
things to dig into with LTAs and EPAs and regulation. And I think we're seeing movement there for sure. Like the UK net zero concrete construction building standard, such a long acronym. I never get it right. And the amendment to part Z and things are coming through, but not quickly enough. The, in terms of reuse, how does your product perform in being crushed back down? Is there anything on the horizon there? Yeah, we do a lot of testing with all the trials that we do, take the blocks back, crush them down, use them as secondary aggregates. So I think the thing about concrete that maybe people overlook is it's one of the first circular materials. So you just crush it. If you can separate it out, crush it and use it as secondary aggregate in other concrete. So we do exactly the same. Crush it, use it in other concrete and test the properties, et cetera. And your use of the of an existing waste stream as well is something that's really support developing circular economy. You, I think I feel like you guys underplay that a little bit. You know, so we use waste. I mean, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing in terms of supporting that developing circular economy. Yeah, and I think in general we underplay. Actually, I don't know whether this is a science background problem. I sometimes we'll be in a meeting and say, so it's. That's a good thing, right? And it'll be an amazing thing that's happened, but someone will say, yeah, so this happened. Because <laughs> sometimes that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Natasha, what does the future hold for low-carbon materials? So we have a few things coming up that are super exciting. So the first thing is launching the product and seeing it out there on the market. So we're working with a bunch of concrete manufacturers on actually producing the aggregate. So our skill is in innovation, materials innovation, and not manufacturing. So we're working with people to manufacture the aggregate and use it. So that's number one. Number two is how we expand. And the best way to um, create maximum impact by expanding the scale up in the product. And thirdly is to develop new products. So we're really keen on where's the next gap what's the next big thing coming through and making that happen really so we've got some really really good labs now so we've got some of the biggest concrete labs in the uk and we've got lots of different testing equipment and facilities to help us innovate faster yeah you're going to ask me what we've got coming up (laughs) yeah they're the three things that that we're concentrating on in the next few months We'll go in on what's coming up, Natasha. Come on, what the, give us a headline of some of the innovations that are happening. So, uh, can't say too much, but no. we're looking at products within concrete. And so, LCM will always be product based. We'll never come out with some software. That's not us. We're, if you can touch it and feel it, then we will look into it. And it will be within the concrete and construction sector. Few different things, actually. Few different things coming up. I'm also intrigued that if you're going to launch your first product with multiple concrete manufacturers, how does that work? Does are one going to trump the other one with their product first? They're obviously going to come out with different names or do you know how that's working? Yeah, it's probably a bit dry for the podcast, but it'll be in, it'll be in the agreement. So they'll have to, they'll call it the same name. They'll all have the same name, but it'll be regionally. So Concrete works quite regionally because it's quite a heavy material. So you don't want to manufacture it too far away from where you're using it. 
So there's some kind of regional aspects to it that we can work on. You mentioned you've got these big shiny new labs, which is amazing. We've talked in the past about wouldn't it be wouldn't it be amazing if the UK had a sort of hub for advanced sustainable materials and yeah. these kind of exist in small pockets and there's a probably a bigger presence down south in some areas but they're not really the sort of wish list at least from what I could see from the outside of what you'd want in that I've got this amazing utopia of live work scenarios loads of really cool people having loads of crazy conversations about mixing products together and doing the next big thing. What would you guys want from that kind of environment? What would be the perfect workspace, work environment for a set of startups just like yourselves? I think it's a really interesting question because we've worked with a few organizations who have on paper what would look like the best facilities for startups to thrive. And I think it just comes down to speed. Like we can do things very fast. So I think what I would want from a start is spaces where you can brainstorm and come up with um, interesting products or innovations, but also lab spaces where you can actually innovate and uh, create those products. So I think what's key for startups is that happens quickly. So there's lots of on the, what on the surface looks like really good programs out there that actually the speed at which they move is so slow compared to what you need to move at. As a startup, if you're away for a week, it feels like you've been away for a year. So much happens. So yeah, it's just the speed of things more than the actual facility, I think. I imagine you kind of, there's no escape in this. You guys are taking this home with you. So what's the, are you into the live work situation potentially? Would you, would everyone looks at it so negatively, but if you've created a community around it, it's, is that something? I don't know. I think it's a really good point. Like really good point because I get asked all the time, oh, how do you find work-life balance? And every time I resist the question because life is work at the moment and you wouldn't do it if you didn't enjoy it. There's too much. It's too stressful to run a startup if it's in something that you're not passionate about or you don't enjoy. So yeah, I resist that question heavily. <laughs> First off, before we wrap this up, I want, given your exposure to the amazing ecosystems out there, Natasha, can you give us a little bit of a heads up as to some other products that you're quite excited about, or at least areas of innovation that you've been keeping a keen eye on? Well, I think the top one has to be uh, removing carbon and greenhouse gases from the atmosphere are we going outside of concrete construction i'm going go, climate tech yeah yeah go wherever you want go wherever you want so maybe carbon removal i think is big and uh, there's terms of the earth i'm just thinking just coming back from windsor the Earthshot finalists out of those uh, there's a company called the bubble barrier which i think is really cool where they pump gas through a tube essentially and the plastic floats to the top and they can collect it so it limits plastic pollution in rivers uh, within concrete and construction so many cement alternatives coming through that are really interesting and it'd be great for us on a lcm level to work with yeah lots of bio-based coming through as well i think in general it's a concrete particularly is a really exciting place to be right now oh mate tell me about it final question 
given the sort of the outlook that you got, that you've got the position other than all of your new royal contacts um how would you describe the future that you really want to see i think more incentives for companies to try new materials and new services so i think at the moment if you take us for instance the first um the first step is okay let's take osso and let's try it in your process now, what that means for the concrete manufacturers, they have to close down their lines for X many hours, which stops them producing products. And that costs them a lot of money. It also costs us a lot of money to conduct the trial. So if there was some kind of incentive around trialing new materials, then I think that could revolutionize innovation within the concrete industry because in a low margin industry, closing a plant down for half a day is a big risk and it's a big decision so incentivizing that i think another more broad one would be people speaking the same language like i i come from academia and it took me a long time to learn the language of waste and concrete and construction and i'm still getting there for sure but then there's different words for the same thing and I don't think this is an easy task by all means, but it's standardizing language around key points. I think people are just talking different languages and not asking questions of fear of looking silly on, on not understanding certain things. So a glossary, a very good glossary. <laughs> it maybe exists. But I think the broader point is it makes it more accessible. It makes industries more accessible to people who haven't had a lot of experience within that industry. And at the moment, it's quite like you think in your daily life, how many three letter acronyms you use. And then you think what that must be like yeah. for someone who comes in and doesn't have a clue. So yeah, accessibility for so everyone of different experiences and different backgrounds to get involved and and innovate within a sector that they have no experience in because it's highly likely they'll be the ones that come up with something that you just haven't thought about because you've been in the sector for so long. Couldn't have put it better myself. I've got a feeling, Natasha, we're going to get you on the podcast many times over the years. So thank you for your time today. No problem. Oliver, that was absolutely fascinating. I think we could have uh, spoke to Natasha for many hours and maybe even got some uh, some more secrets out of her about the amazing experience they've had on the Earthshot. Uh, never disappoints. Never disappoints when you speak to Natasha. I um, I am definitely going to drop her a line and try and get some more gossip on what it was like staying at the palace for that week with Prince William and Kate and the other Earthshot finalists. There's a there's a story to be had there, so I, you bear with me, and I will find it. <laughs> Absolutely, and I just think you know we we mentioned this um, in the out in the intro about their meteoric rise, and I think there's just some exciting stuff still to come out of of low carbon materials, and I think you know in five years' time we'll see a very different um, organisation to what we're seeing now. Totally, and the, the speed that these guys are growing up, um, the interest that they're getting. And the investment that's coming into them, super exciting. It's amazing to see, and it, and it's always good to see really nice people who are other geniuses doing incredibly well as well. Um, so nothing but love for these guys, and I and I really hope that um, you know the future is uh, is incredibly bright for them.
Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, we say this all the time, people like Natasha, organisations and companies like Low Carbon Materials is exactly what we what we started Future X for, which was to give, well, actually, these, Low Carbon Materials doesn't need any more publicity, but, you know, there's many startups doing so many good things, and that's exactly what Future X is all about. Yeah, there's got to be a space to talk about these things. And that's what was amazing about Future Build this year as well, is that there was a phenomenal Future X zone there. There was loads going on. There was tons of startups in the mix with low carbon materials. And you're starting to get the feel that in the UK, particularly, there's a, there's a bit of a community starting to form. Um, and it's all starting to coalesce around things like Future Build and, and fantastically around the Future X podcast, which is brilliant. Absolutely. And if you've enjoyed this, please subscribe, like, share. And we'll be back very soon with even more innovators. Join our community to stay up to date with all things FutureX. Visit futurebuild.co.uk to sign up. Please also like them and share them to help grow our community. You can subscribe to the podcasts within your favourite podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening and we hope we'll be back again soon.